Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour one. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. TGIF today for sure. My goodness, welcome. The phone number is 877-973-7425. In the next hour, I would very much like to spend more time with your calls, if for no other reason than You know, normally we are victim to a rapid news cycle that moves rapidly, changes constantly, and we're never on the same story. And here with the death of Queen Elizabeth, uh, it's like the whole world has ground to a halt. There really isn't a bigger story on planet Earth. There are other stories, and I intend to cover them, but there's not a bigger story than that story that's happening, something the world hasn't seen in 70 years, Uh, the, the newsrooms around the world are covering this from newspapers to television to radio. But I actually want to begin very close to home where I am with a very tragic story that should have some national attention because it is part of a larger story. And uh, it's, it's deeply sad to have to talk about. For the first time in 30 years, Two police officers of the Cobb County Sheriff's Department have been killed in the line of duty. Cobb County, for those of you outside of Georgia, is northeast of Atlanta. If you know where the teepee is, where the Braves play, uh, that is Cobb County. It is on the northeast portion of Atlanta, or northwest, I'm sorry, northwestern portion of the city. Uh, It is a very diverse county. It has trended Democrat politically, but it is also a very tight-knit suburban community outside of the Atlanta perimeter that runs around 285, that runs around the heart of Atlanta. And for the first time in 30 years, two deputies of the Sheriff's Department have been killed in the line of duty. They went to serve a warrant. The warrant they were serving was in a neighborhood that was not a derelict neighborhood. The people being served the warrant were not home, or so it seemed. The deputies turned, walked away from the house, it seems, and were gunned down, ambushed by people inside. They were able to call for help, but died. The warrant was for theft by deception. Again, it's it's not a um, not a not a terrible area. It's not a particularly crime infested area, and this is tragic. Um, it, it's it's just it's it's sad one and, and two unexpected, and not just the people in Cobb County, but particularly the sheriff's office. Uh, they're, they're really in a state of shock and grieving there. This has not happened in 30 years. There have been police killed, but not in that department for 30 years on the job. One suspect remained barricaded for hours inside the home. Another man was handcuffed earlier. They've both now been taken into custody after a SWAT standoff. Law enforcement from the whole area descended into the uh, area. There are people who've lived in that neighborhood their whole lives and haven't seen anything like this. And this is part of a larger trend, and there are a couple of things that have to be said here. One, crime remains a relevant topic 
It remains a relevant issue, and it remains a political issue, however much you may wish not to politicize these sorts of issues, and they should probably not as best you can politicize them. The overall issue of crime in this country and in the suburbs of big cities is a problem. There is a growing, uh, oh, I, I know people, I, I've got some good friends of mine. They're like, this country is is irredeemable. We're so divided. We just need to go ahead and crack up and, and break apart. We need, uh, we need to have red states. We need to have blue states. There's a problem. There is a problem. Uh, and the problem is that you could take the red states and separate them from the blue states, but what do you do with the blue bastions within the red states or the red bastions within the blue states? Do you really think that Atlanta, if Georgia were to go part ways with the nation, Atlanta and Savannah, uh, the port area there, then in the major hub of commerce and all that, that would it would work, would work. It's 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 a dream that people who don't wish to associate with people they don't like can dream about, but it's not when the nation itself can reconcile. But the problem here is that in these blue areas, as crime has gotten bad, it's spilled over into areas that aren't them. It's spilled over into other areas. It's spilling over into the suburbs. As major metropolitan areas in the country see an increase in crime, Suburban areas and exurban areas on the fringes of the boundaries of the crime-ridden part of the uh, nation begin to also experience crime. There are no geographic boundaries for most criminals who want to do things. They can live outside a city and do crime inside the city. They can live inside the city and do crime outside the city. There aren't barriers. There are no great walls of China to prevent them from crossing over from one town to the next to break in, to rob, to burglarize, to steal, to murder, to maim. And as it grows inside cities and festers inside cities, it spills out and has a contaminating effect. And so it will require Republicans to again get very tough on crime. Democrats claim to be, but many of the Democrats out there really do want to defund police. You can't defund the police, but that gets to the other issue here. You know, there was a situation as well in Memphis where the teacher was out for the jog and the guy kidnapped her, murdered her. He had been let out of prison early. Uh, the law there, the, he was in, in Tennessee prison. He wasn't in federal prison, but the law allowed him out after I think 85% of his prison term had been uh, served. He was in prison for 20 years for kidnapping. After 85% of his term was, was served, he was eligible for parole, was allowed out, and then kidnapped and murdered this teacher. There are some people who are irredeemable, and this will offend some of you, but I continue to maintain the position that some people just need killing. I know Sounds cruel to say, particularly someone who has identified as pro-life, but there are some monsters in our society who may never murder but do such grievous harm in our society. Uh, I guess we can lock them up and throw away the key, but why should our taxpayer dollars continue to go to subsidize their existence? We should be tougher on crime, not weaker on crime. And frankly, we should expand the death penalty beyond just murder. But there is another issue here, and it's one that must be addressed. 
I tell you all the time we live in postmodern times. One of the hallmarks of postmodern times is that exceptions become rules. So there are bad police officers in this country. There are really terrible, awful police officers in this country. They do bad work. They are thugs. They actually want to use their job to abuse others, to impose their will on others. They get their uh, they get their jollies on, on being abusive and tyrannical to other people. They are the vast minority of police officers. Most police officers go into the law enforcement because they have a calling. It is something they want to do to help other people. Young boys want to grow up and be astronauts and firemen and police officers. They want to protect. They want to serve. They are the vast majority of police officers in this country are wonderful human beings who put their life on the line every single time they get in uniform to keep you and me safe from bad people. And yet in postmodern times, particularly with the progressive left wanting to defund the police, they have taken the exceptions. And in postmodernism, the exception becomes the rule. So every police officer now must defend himself and say, I'm not the bad guy here. Yes, there are some, but most of us aren't. Well, how can you say most? Look at this example. Look at this example. Look at this example. Look at this example. Well, there are hundreds of thousands of police officers, and you've managed to name five examples. That doesn't mean we're all, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in postmodernism. The exception becomes the rule. And what has happened is now more and more police are being targeted as victims of crime around the country because we have allowed a rabid fringe and a small minority to get disproportionate voices in the media and in politics and on social media to defame police officers, to slander the police, to attack them all as bad. And it has emboldened a lot of people in the country to be more violent. It has also done something else. It has incentivized a whole lot of people to take matters into their own hands and protect themselves. It's no coincidence as the police in this country have been defamed, slandered, and undermined by people on the left who want to defund them and take every example of a bad cop and apply it to all of them. More and more Americans have had to go out and get guns to protect themselves from the criminal element. For all of the people who say they want gun control in this country, those are the very people who are undermining the arguments for gun control because many of those people are the people who also want to defund the police and think all police are bad. It has made it easier for bad people to think that they can get away with attacking police and have themselves be seen as the victims. I personally have on occasion rethought our our body cam is a good idea. It allows everybody to be a a Monday morning quarterback and second guess the police. I, 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 I like them. I think they're good. It's good to see, and there have been examples of abusive police officers exposed. This is how we know about so many of these instances of police officers being exposed as being not good at their job, but being over-abusive, overplaying their hand. But this is how we also know that the vast majority of police officers are really good at their job, really do care, and really do want to protect and serve. And two of those police officers lost their lives last night just north of me, serving a warrant for theft. They lost their lives 
to people accused of theft who will now be accused of murder. And I got to imagine if this was a more prominent national story, we would probably see some of the awful trolls on Twitter, much like they've done with Queen Elizabeth's death, cheering it on, wishing it was a painful death. You would see some of the same sort of stuff here. Look at the number of people on the left who prop up Mumial Abu-Jamal, the cop killer. Apologists for him, free Mumia. They have no idea what he did. And if they if they knew, they, they don't care. There was a pervasive, uh, progressive, small population of people in this country who were perfectly happy to see violence done to cops and revenge for what they perceived were past grievances. And we've allowed it to fester and we've given these people platforms. We society collectively have given them platforms. The the left in particular has propped them up and in some cases elected them to office and it becomes open season on police officers. The overwhelming majority of whom are willing to lay down their life to see justice served and protect you. And I got to think, I got to think, I mean, obviously a majority of people think this is bad and terrible and awful, but I got to think people, particularly in the suburban parts of this country, have to be looking at what's going on in situations like this. And they got to be thinking, this didn't happen just a few years ago. The only thing that has changed is we as a society, not you and not me, but society collectively, the media in particular and the Democratic Party, have emboldened the people who would vilify police in this country, have put the voices of criticism on pedestals and said we must listen to them, and that has provoked more violence against the police. Yeah, look, I think that, that there are some police officers who need better training and some should not be police officers. But again, it's the vast minority And yet uh, so many people, as we've embraced postmodernism, take that exception, make it the rule, and go after police. So if you're a police officer, thank you for what you do. And if you are the immediate relative of a police officer, thank you for sharing your father or your mother, your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter with the rest of us to keep us safe. And prayers for the families of the fallen last night and for the Cobb County Sheriff's Department in Georgia. And hopefully this country will wake up and realize that what's happening to police in this country has been provoked by an angry fringe movement. And we need to put that movement in its place and back the blue. Hello there and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. To the phones we go, Tracy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm feeling well informed because I'm a subscriber to your email, and I well, see thank that you. you have Gibson's Bakery on your show notes. Yes, and I have followed this case for I guess the past four or five years. Great case. I know you're going to give a background on it. My question for you is, since they're kind of at the end of the line with their court case, and the Oberlin College has been. Um, mandated to pay the bakery uh, a substantial jury award of millions of dollars, which the bakery deserves due to the Mm -hmm. slander. Um, Oberlin has delayed and delayed and appealed and appealed to where the uh, plaintiffs in the case, two of them have died. So two questions, I guess. One, when the plaintiffs die, is the defendant still required to pay the judgment And now that the Ohio Supreme Court has denied continuing the case, uh, how does the plaintiff 
force the college to to pay up. Uh, oh, this, so this is great. Uh, and, and I actually want to spend a lot of time on this later, but I'll go on and answer your questions, Tracy. This may be the first time right. someone who gets the show notes has called in to get to a topic before I was getting to the topic. So congratulations, Woo-hoo! Tracy. <laughs> um, so here's the answer. Um, the Oberlin came out yesterday, said they will pay the judgment um, and they have to pay it in a lump sum. There's no negotiation. If they tried to negotiate or refused to pay, what would happen is is that uh, the the bakery owners and it's it's incorporated as a business, so it's not just the individual owners Gibson family. It's Gibson's Bakery, their business uh, could get a court judgment, and the sheriff would have to go out and start seizing property from Oberlin College and selling it off until the thirty eight million dollars is collected. So they have a vested interest in pulling money out of their one billion dollar endowment. Uh, to pay the bakery. Um, Now, the bakery may actually still go out of business because Oberlin stopped doing business with them. And we know from the court encouraged people at the college to stop doing business with them. Uh, For those of you who don't know what happened, um, the owner's grandson uh, tackled and detained three Oberlin College students who were shoplifting. And those students screamed racism, even though there was no racism involved, they were stealing uh, and students protested, and the university administration agreed with the students and slandered the bakery and refused to do business with it and nearly drove it out of business. And the business sued and has won $38 million in defamation charges against Oberlin. It's 35 after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson and delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let me go jump back on the phone with Dave here. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, Eric, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well. Hey, your comment back on this anti-cop sediment uh, that's uh, throughout uh, uh, America, it really started back with Obama. Remember the beer summit? His buddy professor was uh, supposedly harassed by police. Henry Gates. Yep. So it started there and then went to Ferguson. The local authorities in Ferguson said, did their investigations proven one way? He didn't like that. He sent out his... uh, uh, Justice Department to try to prove it the other way. So it started way back with him, perhaps even earlier. Yeah, you know, you're right. There, there really was the beginning of the antagonism and, and what happened in Ferguson. You know, it was uh, Wesley Lowry is the CBS News journalist. Uh, and I, I feel like I should use that in air quotes. He's the guy who yesterday tweeted uh, the death of a person seen as near deity by the white political ruling and media class, but who was also at one point the oppressive ruler of something like 30% of the global population, is going to provide an excellent example of the subjectivity of straight news reporting. Uh, that guy was at Ferguson, and one of the original people who uh, started telling a story about Ferguson that was not so. And that was his rise to to fame there. And famously, I think it was uh, some BuzzFeed reporters saw uh, ear um, earplugs on the ground, took pictures of them and said, look, they're firing rubber bullets at people. Uh, I mean, literally, it was it was earplugs. Um, yes, uh, that really, it, it was then at that time uh, with Obama as president where a lot of this began. And then under Trump, 
the left really thought they could use antagonism against the police as a way to get everyone on their side for 2020. And the result was actually that it nearly got the Republicans back the House of Representatives unexpectedly. And I kind of feel like the left is starting to overplay their hand on some of this stuff as well. They've been scaring people about an uh, a abortion position from the GOP. But in reality, the abortion position of the GOP, uh, particularly a 15-week abortion ban that a lot of national Republicans say is kind of their settled common ground, uh, is far more reasonable than abortion on demand until the moment of birth. It's been very interesting to watch Dana Bash actually on CNN have conversations with Democrats on when this issue comes up. She asked them, where's the reasonable line for you? And they can't answer it. And most Americans overwhelmingly have said 15 weeks is the reasonable line. That's the moment that a child in utero would get some level of anesthesia if there had to be surgery in the womb. Uh, and they can't answer the question. It would be nice to see the GOP pivot back on that. But same on police and the like. Um, I think the Democrats, because of the um, late summer, early fall polling, they have um, overplayed their hand on a lot of this stuff. 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. We have to go back to the big story of the day. It actually is the big story. After 70 years, Elizabeth II, now they're calling her in Great Britain in Parliament today, Elizabeth the Great. Uh, they want her known as Elizabeth the Great. The, she's dead. And Charles is now Charles III, uh, the new king of England. His wife, Camilla, is now the queen. And it's actually a rather big thing. Um. It's big in large part because it is a situation where uh, the world has no memory of anything like this happening. You know, to some degree, there's there's something to be said here about how we can forget history by having not experienced it. And when you have someone sit on a, on a throne for 70 years, you don't even really remember how to transition. So, for example, as, as a great example of this, uh, Charles came back to London early today. When Elizabeth landed in London from Kenya, remember her father died while she was on a trip to Kenya, and she was queen when she landed. Uh, the a parliamentary delegation, including the prime minister, was there. Not so with Charles this time. You kind of forget things. But also what we're seeing is a privileged elite in our country who haven't had to worry about learning history. Uh, they can be deluded and convinced that they know history. And I want to spend a few moments on this point because I, I think you, you have to understand this. Uja Anya is a professor, Carnegie Mellon professor. Her family is from Nigeria. And she tweeted these two things. Twitter, by the way, has deleted them. I don't know why Twitter deleted them. Um, they were vile, but they didn't really um, involve in a breach of Twitter's terms and services, but they deleted them. Here are her two tweets, one of which she previously deleted herself. Um, and I don't know what that one is, but these two remained. I heard the chief monarch 
of a thieving, raping, genocidal empire is finally dying. May her pain be excruciating. That wretched woman and her bloodthirsty throne have effed generations of my ancestors on both sides of my family, and she supervised a government that sponsored the genocide my parents and siblings survived. May she die in agony. She's an American professor. And of course, I read you Wesley Lowry's tweet, the death of a person seen as near deity by the white political ruling and media class, but who was also at one point the oppressive ruler of something like 30% of the global population is going to provide an excellent example of the subjectivity of straight news reporting. Uh, First of all, you have to understand that these are not bright people and you can tell by their tweets. Uju Anya and Wesley Lowry are not very bright. Uh, It is well known, well documented, and well written about that the monarchs of England reign, they do not rule. To say she was an oppressive ruler of 30% of the global population is also to ignore that the British Empire had largely come undone by the time she took the throne. Also, to Uju Anya, her family is from Nigeria. In Nigeria, the Queen of England is very popular. Like over 70% of the polled population in Nigeria loves the Queen. The president of Nigeria yesterday was in tears over the announcement of her death and issued a very warm proclamation in her honor and memory. But there's something going on here. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about Wesley Lowry or Uju Anya or Ibram Kendi. What happens is there is a group of very white, very progressive, very wealthy elite in this country who have a level of white guilt about themselves. And they surround themselves with people like Wesley Lowry and Uju Anya. They get privileged status to be ridiculous, and the rest of us are expected to adhere to, bow to, and appreciate their ridiculousness as some level of sincere and authoritative commentary. They live a very cloistered existence surrounded by privileged progressives who are mostly white. In fact, I I suspect that Lowry in his newsroom and Anya in her ivory tower of academia are more likely to come in contact with a white progressive than any sort of conservative. So the skin color may be different, but the thinking is all the same. A group of progressive elite head patters and tut-tutters who love to hear them talk about race and racism and injustice in the world and affirm them and pat them on the head and go, tut-tut, that's such a shame. None of these people are very smart. Have you ever heard Ibram Kendi talk? Ibram Kendi can't define what racism is other than using the word racism, which is kind of the hallmark of a not very thoughtful person. In every single one of these situations, there's something else. They use very, very large words and convoluted phraseology. They think it makes them sound smart. It is designed to distract you from the shallowness of their ideas. Ibram Kendi is notorious for this. 
He uses the, the phrases and, and words that are designed so that it sounds smart, nonsensical. And the progressive elite head patters tut tut them, thank them, pay them, and go on about their business. They don't have to be aware of the fact that the queen reigns and does not rule. They don't have to be aware of the fact that uh, the British Empire had largely wound down, nor do they have to be aware of the fact that it was the British Empire that dedicated itself to the abolition of slavery around the world, while other empires, the French, the Spanish, the German, the Italian, were turning blind and permissive eyes or benefiting from slavery. The British Empire began to stamp it out. It was actually British colonialism that ended the slave trade across the Atlantic. It was the British colonial rule that forced African nations under British colonial rule to stop selling slaves to other nations. The British empire may not have been perfect, but you will note that of the descended nations from the British colonies, they are far less likely to be third world hellholes than those of the French and those of the Spanish. And that's no disrespect to the French or the Spanish, but it's very notable that uh, the British Commonwealth nations tend to be far more stable democracies than any of the nations that descended from the Spanish or particularly the French and the Germans. Or the Belgians, my gosh, the Belgians and the Congo. And they don't have to know any of that. They don't have to care about any of that because what matters are their feelings. Doesn't really matter. Facts don't really matter. Logic doesn't matter. Their feelings matter. Because to assuage their own guilt and self-loathing, the white elite American progressives, they've surrounded themselves with people like Wesley Lowry and Ujuanya uh, who can get away with being absurd, with being outlandish, with being ridiculous, with being amateurish, but gussing it all up to sound professional because it makes the rich white progressives feel better about themselves that we can't actually be racist. We surround ourselves with these clowns who we've bestowed upon them the veneer of genius. Tut, tut, listen to them. Tut, tut, it's terrible. And I suspect that deep down, Wesley Lowry, Ujuanya, and pe people like Ibram Kendi, they know this. They figure out a way to profit off the guilt of rich, white, elite progressives. But at the same time, they are only in their position because of the rich, white progressives who they don't like. And by being surrounded by rich, white progressives who they don't like and cloistered in ivory towers and newsrooms that are increasingly progressive, they don't have to get out and meet conservatives. They don't have to meet black people who think differently from them. They don't have to meet white people who think differently from them. They get to scream about racism. They get to scream about injustice. They get to, to hurl epithets and grievance mongering at those they disagree with. And the rest of us, because the elite tend to dominate cultural institutions and academia that they make us bow and hear and nod our heads while they tut-tut about it. The narrowing of the progressive mind is actually a greater danger to democracy than Donald Trump, and the left doesn't realize it. The left is so convinced that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy, it's actually their inability and unwillingness to meet people who disagree with them and understand their arguments fairly without caricature and understand their opponents not enemies. That's actually the big threat to democracy here, and it's when the media helps perpetrate 
by narrowing further the minds of progressives and using progressives as the people to set the tone and tenor of conversations in the media and regulate who can come on to represent the other side, who increasingly no one is allowed to, so they're never confronted with other people's ideas. Instead, they're confronted with Uju Anya and Wesley Lowry to head pat and tut-tut and tell them exactly what they think is true and all the people they hate are the real racists. That is the threat to democracy. And it's a threat to democracy driven by grievance mongering by not very well-educated or deeply thought-out people who are presumed to be both because the progressive elite like having them on the payroll. One of the groups that's pushing back against all of this sort of nonsense is Patriot Mobile. Even in schools where the fight against critical theory has come aboard, uh, Patriot Mobile has been funding school board races. They are 11 wins out of 11 races on local school boards now. What they do is they take a portion of their profits and contribute it to these causes. You can be a part of Patriot Mobile. All you have to do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can get free activation with my name. You can take your existing phone number and move it to Patriot Mobile, or you can get a brand new phone number from them. You just go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric or call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you, you get free activation. You get great discounts as well. Veteran, first responder, NRA member, teacher, you get good discounts. You need a lot of lines for your house uh, because you got a lot of kids that need phones that you got to pay for. Well, you can do that with them as well. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Um, so... <laughs> My friend Ken said just that Camilla, she's queen consort. Yes. She will have no regnal power. Uh, only Charles will have the power of the, of the monarchy. Uh, but, but queen Camilla, um, the, in, in, in the vernacular, it'll be king and queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Um, I saw Prince Charles once. Never met him. I've never met his mother. I've actually taken a tour of Windsor Castle as the Queen arrived at Windsor Castle with my mom. They hoisted the um, the royal banner while we were there. We were wandering around uh, as she showed up, which you can tour Windsor Castle, parts of Windsor Castle when the royal family's present. Um, but I, when I was a kid growing up in Dubai, Charles and Diana were on a tour of the Middle East. And... Our house was just off the main thoroughfare, and I and friends of mine stood on the street corner as the car went past, and everybody was out waving and got to see a glimpse of them as they passed by. Uh, I have met Margaret Thatcher before uh, when I was in high school, and that's the closest I've gotten to, to major British politicians or anyone like that. But, you know, growing up uh, in a former British colony, you couldn't help but actually appreciate uh, the royal family and the things Britain had done abroad. Uh, my sister went to boarding school outside of London for a while. When I was a kid, I got to meet Alec Guinness, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is still one of the highlights of my life. But it is kind of remarkable, even as an American, to pay attention to what has happened because she kind of was this timeless figure. She was, if you pictured who is a queen, it was her. 
And it didn't matter if you went to Australia or New Zealand or Jamaica or the Bahamas or Bermuda or Canada. It was her face on the coin. In all of these countries, she wasn't at Barbados up until recently. She was the face on the currency. Uh, and that will change now, and Charles's face will be there. He will face opposite her. He will face to the left, as in her on her last uh, coin, she faced to the right. He will face to the left. It's one of those quirky traditions of Britain. And one of those interesting things is how so much of the power of monarchy comes from the tradition and from the sacred. Charles has actually talked about this before in an interview some years ago that um, we've become so wrapped up in modernity, we've forgotten the sacred. Makes me kind of like him a little more. I know he's a little uh, greeny environmentalist, but look, I I'm a big admirer of his support for traditional architecture and even his organic guarding as a personal choice, not as a national choice. Um, it's going to be just interesting to watch this play out.